Man, you know, this is a great time to live. I'm telling you what. You know, it's Christmas season, but I believe that we're living in one of the most awesome times in church history. I believe God is doing something, you know, and just when you think He's not, you think that, you know, the well's drying up. Here it comes again. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, God is doing some great things. And um, just, just, just wait. Just wait. If you're not there, just wait. It's coming. Uh, today we're going to be finishing up what we... St- well, not finishing up. We're going to be continuing what we started last week when Pastor Cricket uh, started this message. Uh, the gift that only you can give. Today we're going to be talking about the gift of worship. Everybody say worship. Yeah, y'all said that like you mean it. It's going to be easy. Awesome. Y'all are with me. Y'all want to preach? Y'all just preach. That'd be all right. Y'all preach to me. All right, we're going to talk about you know the obvious things. What worship is not, and I know we've we've uh, we've heard these things before. Is as much as you feel like it is, the slow songs during worship is not the entirety of worship. We uh, we call that worship, praise and worship. It's a genre. Have you heard? It's a genre of music, praise and worship. Um, but I want to tell you that just because we worship in that moment does not mean that that is worship. It is a very small part of what worship is. Worship is not just the motions. We say, I'm worshiping. But you know, only the Lord knows if you really are. Because the Lord is looking at your heart and said, are you worshiping? He's not looking at your hands. The hands go up when the heart opens up. Can I just say that? When, when the heart opens up in worship to God, that's when the hands go up. And sometimes we have to force it. Sometimes we put the hands up anyway. We say, God, I surrender. And then the heart opens up. But either way, it's the hands up isn't, not, isn't what God sees as worship. It's an outward expression of what's going on on the inside. Worship is this. Worship is our reaction to God's grace. It's our reaction to um, the covenant that He's made with it and what He wants to do in our life. Did you know a covenant is give and take? Did you know that? He gives to me, I give to Him. That's what a covenant is. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that. I'm getting ahead of myself. But we want to talk about what worship is not. A lot of us, we fall into that trap and we say, this is worship. Well, maybe. Only God knows. So... Um, I preached a funeral when I was... Uh, we lived in Louisiana for several years, and I, I preached a funeral while I was there. And I'll tell you what the funeral was. Um, we had a youth group there, um, and uh, we had bumped 75, 80 kids. We thought that we were high-rolling. I had been... I asked, was asked to speak on youth ministry to Tommy Tenney's interns, and I just thought... I was in my early 20s, and I thought I was like, a, you know... A, like most people in their early 20s, no offense, millennials, but most people in their early 20s, you know, they, they feel like they're, you know, 50, you know, in the spiritual realms. Like, and, and maybe so. There's a lot of really young pastors out there that are just, just blow me away. But it wasn't for me. Um, I, uh, I felt like I'd arrived. I felt like I was, because God was speaking to me and I felt like I was getting these revelations from God. And um, and the youth group was seventy five to eighty kids, and I just felt like you know I, I was just the the hottest stuff ever, you know. And uh, so anyway, and then I got invi- I got a phone call 
and I had to preach this funeral. It was one of the kids in our youth group who had, uh, during a family event, the family had a lot of people over, and the, the teenager had gone into the backyard and hung himself from a tree in the backyard and committed suicide. And, and can I tell you, he, was, he wasn't a member of our small groups. Our sale groups, that's what we call them, sale groups. He wasn't a part of uh, any of our special name groups, our fusion groups, our impact groups. He wasn't a, a member of any of those things. He just attended. So I wasn't sure where he was at. I wasn't sure. I really wasn't convinced that he had ever responded for salvation. And um, so I found myself standing... After I had to preach the funeral, and I, I, you know, in those funerals, I hate to say it, but you, you don't say things like I'm saying to you right now. You, you say stories about the prodigal son, or you know, uh, only God knows where he's at. You know, and you, you say things of comfort, words of comfort. You know, um, but I was not comforted. I, I was standing, I remember standing, it was a pivotal moment in my life, I remember standing on a sidewalk. Um, it was between the playground and the youth building at our old church. And I was standing there, we had been through two building projects, we had been there for about five years, about now, and um, I'm standing on the sidewalk, and I was just, I was frozen. I was completely um, bankrupt. That's the only way I know how to explain it. I was done. I did not... The world became too big and I couldn't unsee it. Do you I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody feel that? The world has just, had just gotten too big and too bad. And there's nothing I could do about it. There's nothing I could change about it. And the worst part of it is I couldn't unknow it. I had seen too much. I had, um, I had felt too much. Um... But I had been getting things from God for several years that I felt were life-changing. You know what I'm saying? I had been seeking God every week and creating these dynamic multimedia presentations. We had, we had, we literally had pyrotechnics. Don't tell anybody, but we had pyrotechnics in our, don't tell anybody. Hey, Facebook. Um, we had pyrotechnics in our, uh, on our stage that this gentleman uh, it looked a lot like Mr. Kenneth. He had a long gray beard. He rode a, uh, uh, a big motor, a loud motorcycle. He was our, one of our youth helpers. He had, he knew, he was like, hey, I can make you some of those, you know. And so he took these metal paint cans and he, I'm not going to tell you how they're made, okay? Are there any teenage boys, junior high kids? No. Okay. I see Jalen over there. We're not going to talk about this. All right. So, Basically, it involves gunpowder, which I found out the hard way. Smokeless gunpowder is what you got to have. But uh, because there's a lot of smoke if you don't. Gunpowder and electricity. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, we had a 22-foot ceiling, and we licked the ceiling with flames. <laughs> 22-foot pillars of flames. That was unintentional, but it happened, and we were in awe. It was the most awesome thing I've ever seen. Um, but uh, 
we did some crazy stuff. I mean, we, we, we had it. All, but I was seeking God and I was receiving these messages and these ideas and, and just, we had, we had a large budget. Um, we ended up wasting a lot of it. But we just did these tremendous, just outrageous things just to get kids' attention and stuff. And I thought in ministry that I was there. But what I didn't realize is that I'd been seeking God for years for them. And I found myself standing on that sidewalk completely bankrupt. Completely empty, completely overwhelmed, and completely unable to believe that God could change anything. I was completely done, not in ministry, but I was just done. I was done. Y'all know the feeling, right? A lot of you know that feeling. You're just done. And there's just nothing that you can do about it. So, it dawned on me in that moment. I told you it was a pivotal moment. It dawned on me that I am not qualified for this. I thought I was. But I'm not. And the only reason that anything had happened in this youth ministry was because of God. And it had nothing to do with me. And I was trying to shoulder it, and by God's grace, He was letting me get through for several years. But I got to the point where I realized, I can't do this. I could not do anything. There's no going back. The gentleman that I just that I just preached his funeral, there was no going back. There was no one doing that, and there was nothing I could have done about it. There was nothing that I could say, no comfort that I could really give. Um, and none of us are qualified. I, don't, I, I mean, just in, in case you thought you were, I'm just telling you right now, you're not. None of us are qualified to do what God is calling us to do. And uh, I started having heart symptoms. I was in my early 20s. I started having palpitations. I started feeling like I was suffocating, like I couldn't breathe. I felt like my lungs weren't working. I felt like I, I just couldn't breathe deep enough. And I learned later that, you know, that that's called anxiety. <laughs> A few trips to the doctor. Am I cutting out? After a few trips, that's probably my phone in my pocket. It's on top of my. After a few trips to the doctor, they let me know that they're like, "Oh, you're having anxiety attacks." I'm like, uh, "No, no, this is real." And they're like, "Yeah, it's real." No, 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 this is physical. And they're like, yeah, but it's caused by uh, anxiety and stuff like that, you know. And they know I'm just like they know I'm in ministry. They reckon they know where I'm from, you know. And it's just like, "No, no, no, no." I'm good. You need to check check things out though. Um, but so I started fasting and I started praying and I started really seeking God. And I remember for the first time I laid across the back chairs. They were chairs like these, and I laid across the back chairs in the back of the sanctuary. And no music, no, the, all the fluorescent lights on. We we call these Holy Ghost chasers because when you turn these on, it's just like the anointing leaves, you know, because it's like they're so bright and so um, they're not the soft glowing lights you want to wish. But um, so I had been, uh, so I laid across these back uh, chairs, and I just began to seek God, and it was, the, it was something different. It was a bottom of the well. It was, uh, what's the word, end of your rope. It was the end of my rope. It was, um, everything had dried up, and it was just God. God was the only thing left, and I, I was laying there across the chairs, and God showed up. And I began fasting, I began praying, and I started giving at that moment. And this is going to sound, this is going to sound wrong because maybe we've, we've heard some doctrine in the past that is true in part, 
but we're going to clear it up. So I started giving to get. I started giving to God to get from God instead of just getting from God to give out. And this is a part of our relationship with God that we don't talk a lot about because, you know, we want... We want to be completely selfless in our relationship with God. We think everything that comes to us has to go through us. And I've said that, probably from this pulpit. But can I just revise that a little bit? Y'all give me some grace there. Maybe there's some things that shouldn't go through you. Maybe there's some things as a loving Father that God wants to give to you to sustain you. Maybe there's some things that God wants to do in your heart that just a lo- only a loving Father can do. You know, there are things that I give to my kids and I appreciate when they see my example and they, if, I, if I'm generous to them and they see that example and they go out and they're generous to others, that's awesome. That's awesome. But there are some things I give to my kids that are just for them. And I want them to have those things and I want them to treasure those things. And I want them to hold on to those things. And I just want to tell you that I think God wants some of us in here this morning, maybe all of us, to realize that God is a good dad and He just wants to give you some good things. And not everything is about work, work, work. Not everything in the kingdom is about give, give, give. Not everything is sometimes God just wants you to sit in His lap like we we did with Santa Claus yesterday at an event and say, you know, where He can just say, what do you want? What are the desires of your heart? I want to give you the desires of your heart. I want us to know God like that. You know, generosity, it just flows. Out of that kind of relationship with God, it flows. But sometimes we just fall into this sense of duty where it's just like... And for me, it was just seeking God all the time just to get something to give. Get something to give. And I was always under pressure. That's where the anxiety came from. God, you got to give me something. you got to give me something. I don't have anything in me. you got to give me something right now. I have nothing to say tomorrow. I need something right now, you know. Uh, that's where a lot of those regurgitated online messages come from. You know, it's just like, okay, Google. <laughs> what to preach tomorrow. Okay. So, um, I started giving to get. And we're talking about worship this morning. I want to be clear. But I want to lay a foundation real quick about what worship is. And we got to lay some things in place before we transition to that. Because I want us to fully understand worship this morning. There's nothing wrong with receiving what you need from God. There's nothing to be ashamed about needing something from God and seeking God for something that you need. Can it get out of balance? Yes. There are some people in churches who only give to get. There's people in churches that only get to give. There is a balance in God. And it's not either or, or it's both. So there's nothing wrong with receiving what you need from God, but you do get from God by giving to God. And that's where I'm probably going to rock some doctrines right there. And some of you have just are probably fixing it to me out. But I encourage you to listen and hear the part and know what I'm trying to say to you. For example, okay, like I said, we don't talk about these things in church. But for example, I want my day blessed. What do I do? I seek God first thing in the morning. Why do I seek God first day? First, uh, seek God first thing every day in the morning because I want my day to be blessed. Yes. I want Him to be present in my day. Am I giving to get? Absolutely. Now, maybe that's not the right verb, but there's. I'm, I want to employ a shock factor this morning. So, 
Alright, so I want my finances blessed. My finances blessed. What do I do? I give my tithe. The Bible says if I give my tithe, that He'll bless it. We did that this morning. Even as simple as I want my food blessed, what do I do? Kids, put that fork down. We haven't said the blessing. We're going to bless this food before we eat it. Everything that we do, we know if we give something, that the remainder is blessed. We know that if we give something, that God gives something. Because it is a covenant, people. It is a covenant with God, and a covenant is give, 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 give. Back and forth, two ways. He gives, we give. He gives, and you know what? God will never, never break His covenant. But we can. We can break our covenant with God. So let's go let go of the bad doctrine. God gave His Son for you. Yes. It was a covenant exchange. Yes. What does that mean? It means that He gave His life for my life. Yes. But where does salvation come from? It comes from when I give my life to Him. If I don't respond with an act of giving after what He's given to me, there is no salvation. It is a covenant. It is a two-way relationship and a two-way giving. In fact, everything that is good in you, everything that is good in me, has been given to me and you by God. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. It didn't come from you. If there's something good in your life, it came from Him. There's things that we think are good in our life, but I mean, it says good and perfect. So there are good things that you think are in your life, but they're not perfect. Everything that is good and perfect has come from Him. Um, All of those things came from God because of that covenant exchange. Because He gave His life. I give my life. Covenant exchange happens. And all of a sudden I find good and perfect things in my life. Um, Whether you gave Him control of a situation. Whether you give up something that's holding you back. Whether you give yourself more to the Word and prayer. You give something every time to get from God. You have given something some point in your life to get from God. Um, all of our relationship with God is in exchange. If you don't agree that that's true, that all of our relationship with God is an exchange, is a covenant, I want to encourage you to have any other relationship without that element of exchange. Married people, when your spouse says, I love you, See, that's really awkward. When someone says, I love you, you say, I love you too. Even if you don't mean it, it just comes out. It just comes out, I love you too. Why do we do that? Because it is a two-way exchange. Because when someone gives something, you're compelled to give something back. When someone says, I love you, you're compelled to say, I love you back. And if you don't, there's 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 an upset in the covenant. And when someone gives you a Christmas present, fellas... And when someone gives you a Christmas present and they say, hey, I got you something. You don't say, guys, you can't say, oh, well, I thought we were just giving to the kids this year. 
No, you buy one anyway, and you put it aside just in case. That's the smart thing to do. I'm just t- I'm giving you a tip this morning. Buy a Christmas present for your wife and wait to see if she got you something. If not, take it back. But if she did, it's going to be awkward Christmas morning. If she did, if you, or at least you better fully understand whether you're doing it just for the kids or each other. You know, you better get that spelled out in writing. So, all right. So, um, Leah and I, our first Christmas, our pastor Greg was talking about his first Christmas, so I'm going to tell you about our first Christmas. Um, how many of you just totally failed your first Christmas with your spouse? Um, oh, just me. Okay, good. <laughs> Nobody raised their hand. <laughs> y'all are awesome. Good for y'all. Good for y'all. Good, good, good. Um, I got Leah this uh, this weird like jumper from Walmart. I don't know if it was pajamas or something you wear to church. I don't know. It was you know what I'm talking about. It was like a one piece thing with just like you remember this thing? It was like some kind of floral print. Just, it was awful. It was, but it was not. It was the '90s. Come on, you know everything was awful. But uh, so guys, don't buy clothes. Don't buy clothes. You don't. You think you know? You don't know. So, um, and then uh, she bought me a uh, was that the skill saw year or the Carhartt jacket? Which was neither me, you know. It's just like, and so it makes me think, oh, that's what she wanted in a man, you know, <laughs> some guy in a Carhartt coat with a skill saw cutting wood, you know. Sorry, uh, but uh, so so women, no tools. You don't know. So uh, you think you know? You don't know. Um, so um, I got you this, you know, it's just like whatever Walmart has on special, it's not targeted like a tool. It's not targeted to the men. It's targeted to the women who don't know anything about tools to give to the man. And uh, so, but anyway. So what fosters a relationship is mutual giving. When my spouse gives and I give, a relationship blossoms. A relationship, and all of a sudden, giving becomes uh, part of the romance. Giving is part of the relationship. That's something you don't realize when you're younger. But giving, mutual giving, is part is one of the the best parts of a relationship. What when you know that they are happy with something that you've been able to give to them, and when they know whether you are or not that you're happy with a skill saw or whatever they've given to you. Can I just say something? That God is not your sugar daddy. We'll just lay that out right now. God is not a sugar daddy. He is not just in giving mode all the time and just let me just bless your socks off. He doesn't spoil His kids like that. He doesn't just He doesn't want us to come to Him when we need something, you know, a lot of us, that's what worship is. A lot of us is, God, give me, you know, it's like, so I've heard it said, you know, put your arms like a funnel. Put your arms like a funnel. And there ain't nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying, uh, sometimes your arms need to be lifting something up. They need to be lifting something up to Him. But sometimes we just worship in order that we can receive something from God because we're needy. I realize that. I'm needy. I need things from God all the time. But God doesn't want to be a sugar daddy. God is a groom. And we're the bride. That's how the, the Bible never says there's no Jehovah sugar daddy. It's always every name for God in the Bible. Every name for God in the Bible 
our every description of our relationship with God is either father, child, or groom and bride. And spouses exchange vows, and then they exchange everything else. You don't. I mean, here's here's a little bit of marriage counseling from a, a, a probably younger than most people in here. But here's what I've learned: after you get married, you don't own nothing. <laughs> you don't have it. It's not yours anymore. And a lot of problems I think that we have in marriage is because we retain things for ourselves and we hold things back, and it creates distrust. It really does. And a lot of us, you know, we're used to holding things back because there's secrets that we hold back. There's so many things that we hold back from our spouse, and so it becomes kind of natural to do so. But spouses, after they exchange vows, they exchange everything else. Or they're supposed to. If we only receive from Him, we aren't fulfilling our covenant. And whether He does or not, He's not obligated to it anymore. He, maybe He does by His grace and mercy. But if you want to get legalistic about it, He's not obligated in a covenant where you have broken. It even transpires. God even said that if a spouse is unfaithful. Do you understand? If a spouse is unfaithful, the Bible even says that that is one of the only, if not the only, reasons for divorce. If there's unfaithfulness. And can I tell you this morning that God made that rule. And it says He hates divorce. But He made the rule out of His heart. So I don't know why we think that we can be unfaithful to Him and still remain in this covenant with Him. And I'm just telling you, by, by grace. Now, there's no... there's His grace supersedes every rule. You can get legalistic if you want to, but I need His grace. I need His grace every day. I need Him to keep His end of the deal even when I don't. And He does. But I'm saying if you want to get legalistic about it, okay? Alright. Um, so how do we reestablish the covenant? Because if the covenant is broken, it wasn't His fault. He never, he never broke a promise. He never broke a covenant with me. So if the covenant is broken, I broke it. Number one. But I need to know, how do I reestablish the covenant with Him? It's the same thing that got you out of the covenant. It's the same thing that gets you back in the covenant. And that is giving. And that's the reason we worship. That's the reason at the beginning of every week we come in here and we with abandon raise our hands and we raise our voices and we say, God, I give you everything. Because I know last week there were parts in my life where I broke the covenant. There were parts in my life last week where I was not living up to my end of the covenant. Where there were parts of my life that I held back. That I had tried to keep secrets from Him. That I tried to um, keep things for myself. And so when I come in here on Sunday, this is my chance. This is my chance to make sure that God knows He still has me. That God knows He still has my heart and this covenant is not going to be broken. I'm going to do my part to make sure that this covenant with my God stays intact. So, uh, Genesis 20.17 so we establish the covenant by giving. Genesis 20:17 says this. It says, 
And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and all his servants so that they could have children again. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to break it down. Abraham prayed to God. God healed Abimelech, his wife, all of his servants, so they could have children again. You know what was going on in Abraham's life right here? Abraham didn't have any children. God had already promised Abraham a son. He hadn't come yet. But God asked him to pray for someone so that they could have children. And God answered their prayer. And Abraham was so old. And his wife was so old. And they were just getting older. And I know everybody in here knows what that feels like. Where I'm, I'm watching the, clock, the calendar, you know. It's like, I'm just getting older. Will this ever happen? Will this promise ever come about? Will, you know what I'm saying? And you feel like, here I am. I'm, I'm you know, time don't stop. And so I know Abraham was feeling that way. But God said, pray for Abimelech. Pray for his house that there would be children in their house. But God, there's no children in my house. That's not recorded. He said that. He did it. And God honored his prayer. He prayed that God would heal his wife, that she'd be able to have children. And she did. While uh, while Sarah was still barren. Genesis 40 and 41. We won't go there because it's those whole two chapters. It's basically the story of Joseph when he's in prison and he interprets dreams for the baker. He interprets the dream of the butler. It opens up the door where he interprets dream, dreams for Pharaoh. And he's just like interpreting all these dreams for people and everything. But he had had his own dreams. And do you realize that the, the dream for the butler, the dream for the baker was relatively fulfilled in a short time? His dream for Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's dream that uh, he interpreted, it was fulfilled in a relatively short time. But Joseph had his dreams when he was a kid. And they were so vivid that they compelled him to tell all, tell his brothers, tell his, his, everybody who had listened, he wanted to tell them about it. They were so vivid and they were so real. And here he was, maybe looking at the calendar and saying, God, I have done this for all these people and you haven't even done that for me yet. His own dreams were unfulfilled. Um, Job 42.8 just says this. It says, So now, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job. Sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. God told Job's friends, who were not nice people, to go to Job, who was diseased, broken, distraught, who had lost everything, and say, go to Job, have him pray for you, that you won't lose anything. Job prayed for them. God heard Job's prayer. And God forgave, and nothing... Had happened to them, even though they're the only ones that deserved it in my book. But Job was still sick. He was still broke. He was still rejected. Did you know that praise in the Bible is called a sacrifice of praise? 
That's why we don't worship. We don't come to church when life gets hard. We, we, from a ministry standpoint, you say, this is when you need to be in church. Life is going hard. You know, things aren't working out for you. Get in church. Get close to God. But that's when we run away from God. Why? Because it becomes a sacrifice. And if worship and praise is not able to be, it doesn't. It's not always a sacrifice. But if it's not, it's sometimes in your life a sacrifice. It's it can't be genuine. If I'm just coming in here and raising my hands and just and just uh, entering in, entering into worship, just going through the motions. But as soon as it's not easy, I'm standing here just. Mully grubbing over all my problems, and you know, even if I'm here, I'm not really here. I'm thinking about, you know what I'm saying? Until it's a sacrifice, until you can say, Abraham, after he got his son, God said, Take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Can you imagine what kind of. I would be a crazy person if I was Abraham. I'd be like, God, what is going on? You told me to pray for Abimelech and his family. And you healed them everything. And then, praise God, you finally gave me my son. And now i got to go sacrifice him. You know, sometimes we have to lay it all down. And we have to say, maybe this is something that I can't figure out. Maybe, just maybe, God has the answer. And maybe this morning, if I give a sacrifice of praise, the ram will show up in the bushes. The sacrifice will be made for me. Maybe, just maybe, if I do what God said and I, and, I, and I come into this thing and I say, God, we have a covenant. I have a covenant with you. It costs you a lot to have a covenant with me. And here I am with my sacrifice of praise. It's worth a try, right? No, but we get, our, we get in pride and stuff. And we just like, eh, eh. it's like, just, just do it. Give me what can it hurt. Just try it. You know, it's just like God said, he said, try me in this. What, what can it hurt? You know, just one week, set aside 10%. Just do it one time. On a good week. On a good week when no bills are coming in. Just set aside, try me in this. See if I won't do what I say. And worship, guys. Try me and try him in this. Okay. So what is worship? By the way, the spirit, by the way, Abraham had Isaac. We know that. After he became the most powerful man in the region. Joseph's dreams came about to the letter after he became rich and powerful. Most powerful man in the region. Job was made whole and he was ten times more blessed than he ever was before. So your sacrifice isn't for nothing. Your sacrifice isn't for the sake of sacrifice. It's to establish covenant. It's part of the covenant with your God. Now, it is God given proportion to what you give. I hope not. Because God has given so much in my life. All He's looking for. Guys, you are a free moral agent. You make your decisions. And God is saying, if you will decide to establish covenant with me, just make that decision. It opens the door. That's all it does. He said, if you will bring your tithe, He said, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to you. All He's wanting to do is get an avenue into your life. And we can't stay closed off from Him. And we can't stay over here in our, in our little world closed off from what He wants to do in our life and expect Him to show up. Because He's like, I can't run over you. Open the door. Let me in.
Let me, let me fulfill my side of the covenant. So the spiritual principle is this. You are in covenant with God and covenants are based on mutual giving. So what is worship? Worship is making an offering of something in your life. Worship is an offering. David said this, you know, uh, the king was wanting to give him all of the cedars for the temple and he said, I'm not going to take anything for God's house. It didn't cost me something. He's like, you can't give me that. He's like, David refused to let his offering cost nothing. Can you tell? Can I tell you in the Old Testament, offerings were costly. I mean, you read it. And it's just like, how in the world? I mean, if you just picture that, if they made a movie about the Old Testament sacrifices, like when the temple was finally finished and all of the sacrifices that happened, if they made a movie about that, it would be the goriest movie ever. There would be blood running in the streets. You're talking about hundreds and hundreds of animals. I mean, and not just any animals, the best. All the best animals. Thank God we don't live in that time. Thank God Jesus came. And, and we don't have to... <coughs> excuse me. We don't have to uh, kill all those animals and have blood running out of our doors. We'd get shut down for sure. Um, but, um, so... Worship is making an offering of something in your life. Time. Money. Focus. Attitude. Your job. Your relationships. Your appetites. That's why fasting is so important. Fasting is worship. Fasting is saying, God... I value you more. I am laying this thing down. It doesn't matter what it is. Because like I said, God is looking at your heart and He sees a heart of worship. People have done some weird things. Weird things for God in worship. And everyone else would look at them. And in those cases, a lot of times, I look at them and I say, um, they're laying down, must be laying down their pride right now. <laughs> because that's just weird. Um, see, God is looking at your heart and He's looking for a heart of worship. Whatever avenue it is, in your relationships, your appetites, your comfort... Your desires, your conversation, your influence that you have, all of those things can be offering to God. Now, do we do penance? No, we do not. We do not believe in penance because penance has already been made. Jesus has already paid the price. We're not paying for anything we've done. We're not even paying to have a relationship with Him. You know why? Because every good and perfect thing in your life already came from Him. You don't own those things. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. So, whatever you offer to Him is worship. That's why we have an altar in our church. That's the reason we say come to the altar in some of our services is because altars are for offerings. Ever since recorded, the recorded biblical history... Altars are for offerings. They made an altar for everything. Everything in their life that happened, everything that they needed, everything that they got, everything. There was always an altar. They're building altars, building altars everywhere. If you lived in that time, you would be like, probably like see altars all over the place because they built an altar for everything. And we don't even have to go find rocks and build something up because the altar is in your heart. And it requires, but somehow it's, it would be easier a lot of times for us to find a bunch of rocks and actually build something and put, find the wood and do all the hard work rather than deal with our own heart sometimes. But offerings are for, altars are for offerings. Offerings are for worship. Worship 
establishes the covenant. The covenant is an exchange for all the benefits of being a spouse of the richest, most powerful person in the universe. And all of that is available to you in the covenant. So, sometimes we value our pride a little bit too much. We think that our pride is more valuable than a covenant with someone like that. Guys, I'm speaking to myself. I'm a very... I'm not... I wouldn't consider myself a prideful person. Somebody might. I don't consider myself a prideful person. I consider myself a selfish person sometimes, you know, where I... uh, in my feelings a lot of times. Y'all, nobody... Okay, it's just... Um, I get all up in my feelings and uh, it shuts me down. It takes me a long... It takes me all day sometimes for me to work out an issue with Leah that started with something very trivial. Like whether it was whole milk or 2%. You know, or anything. It doesn't even matter what it is. And uh, so I, sometimes I will come in here one time we came in when we were at our church in Louisiana, we had been arguing, you know, like, you know, most couples do in the morning, trying to get the Sunday morning, trying to get the kids to church and stuff like that. That's like the, the, the time for arguing. I mean, it's it's like, it's part of the day. So, um, and we were, uh, we were, uh, had been arguing and stuff and got to church and I was upset. I was so, I was so upset and I came in and I wear it on my face. I always face. So if you see me scowling, it's probably not as bad as you think because if I, if it's as bad as you think, it'd be really scowling because I wear everything exaggerated. Um, and so I came in and the pastor said, what's going on? And I'm just like, uh, well, just having issues or whatever. He said, you got to lock the door. And I was like, well, I, 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 I don't even know how to do that. How, how, do I, how do I just leave it at the door? You know? And he's like, you got a job to do. You know, you're on the payroll. You can't come in here like that. And he just it hurt my feelings. It was just like, and of course, you know, then I was like, then I'm just like, hey, how are y'all doing? You know, everything was super fake at that moment. But I thought he was so wrong. God wants us to be transparent. We shouldn't be covering stuff up, you know. And uh, but now I've learned that I can I can set. My feelings aren't the problem. My feelings are not... Or my feelings are the problem, but the problem is not my feelings. The problem is over here. My feelings about the problem, I can deal with that. You understand what I'm saying? I can set the problem aside or I can bring it to God in the time of worship. But I can set that thing aside and I can deal with my feelings and put put away my pride, put away my selfishness, put away my self-centeredness and say, God, this moment is for you. And that is a skill that every believer needs to learn. That at any moment, you need to be able to set it all aside and come to God, who has the answer, by the way. He knows if it was 2% or whole. He He can take care of all of those things. God has stepped in. How many of you have ever done this? And this is the most difficult thing. The most difficult thing in in an argument with a spouse is is to say, you know what? Let's just pray. That's hard to do. But if you'll do that, it'll stop it. It'll be like, it don't even matter what we're arguing about. It doesn't matter about the milk. It doesn't, nothing matters right now. God just comes in and, and it all dissipates. In every situation, when you get God involved, 
It's just like magic happened. You know, it's just like all the problems just like, oh, they just melt. And you're just like, I'm good now. I'm good. That's something you can't do. No amount of striving will accomplish that. All right. So, uh, what... Uh, wow. Okay. I'm way off. Okay. So, maybe it's, maybe it's easy for you to worship with your money. But it's hard to worship with your attitude. And that's where you build your altar. Tear down every altar to pride and selfishness and entitlement and build an altar there to God. I need the covenant with God in my life to flow through every part of my life. Wherever it's not flowing, I must build an altar right there to God of worship. So what can I offer God in this act of worship? What is good enough for God? So... What can I possibly do with, uh, do, what possibly can it do for him for me to raise my hands in worship or me to give my little bitty tithe? You know, what good is that even going to do in the large scheme of things? And these are the most basic in the, in, in our Christian walk, these are the most basic, relatable forms of worship that God gives us. In the act of worship, our money, and our focus. Those are the two things that we, we focus on in church services because those are the most basic, relatable things in ways that we can worship. But if we don't do those with all of our hearts, we can pretty much say we're not going to be able to move on. Amen. If we're not able to give our offering if we're in our tithe, if we're not able to give our attention and focus and lay down our pride in wor- corporate worship, we're probably not going to be able to move on in the other things. I'm just, I'm just saying that. So, is it everything? No, no. But I'm just telling you, if you can't, if you can't master those, then we're probably not going to be able to move on. So, let's first establish that we have nothing that he will accept. Remember, Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain thought that he could do something for God besides what God asked for. And he brought something that God said, "Bring me this." But he said, "But this is what I do." So I'm going to bring you this. And God, the, the Bible says that God rejected his offering. And not only that, he went away angry and God came to him and he said, he said, Cain, if you, don't, if you just do what's right, favor, if you just bring me what I asked for, there'll be favor in your life. But if you don't, sin is waiting at the door. It's crouching at the door, ready to spring in. Uh, Cain thought that he could do whatever he wanted and God would just use that. It was never about Cain's efforts. God wasn't asking for his effort. He wasn't asking for the sweat of his brow and, and the, the fruit of his whatever. You know, He wasn't asking for any of that. It was about the bread. It wasn't that Abel raised sheep and so that God had re- preferred that. It was about the blood the whole time. I don't know. I've never seen uh, vegetables shed blood, but I've seen a lamb shed. I've never seen a lamb shed blood, but y'all think I'm a weirdo now. Um, but I know they do. I know they've got blood. Okay, so it was about the blood. God wanted a blood covenant. He wanted a blood covenant with Cain and Abel. Without the blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no entrance into His throne room without blood. God said, if you don't bring the blood, sin has an open door in your life. So are you ready to get really offended? Okay, here it comes. I can't just come into His presence and just say, Oh well, here I am, Lord. Use me if you can. 
Now, are there times when you have to approach God like that? Yeah. But sometimes we live in that spot. When we come to Him, there's only one thing He will accept, and that is the blood. He wants to know, what has the blood done for you in your life? He wants to know, what evidence is there in your life of my gift to you? Uh, the Crater of Diamonds in Murfreesboro. Anybody ever been there? Okay. It, it, how many of you have been in there in July or August? Oh. It's a desert. It is just a big, tilled up part of land. And it's just, I mean, you better bring some water. It is just miserable work. You're out there digging around in the dirt. By the end of your time there, you're just kicking at the dirt. Not one there. Not one there. But anyway, it's a state park you can go to and look for diamonds. And there are diamonds there. People find them all the time. But uh, it is the ugliest plot of land where they've just gone through and tilled it up and the water's washed it out. It's just a, it's just a mess out there. And uh, people everywhere that have... There's pros out there, man. They've got like uh, the, the desert stuff on and the military shovels and, you know. But uh, anyway, 75,000 diamonds have been discovered there. 29,000 of them were found after the diamond mine closed. And it's still producing. 49 carats were discovered last year. Uh, back in the 20s or 30s, I think, the Uncle Sam was found. It was over 40 carats. A diamond over 40 carats. I mean, is that like a softball? I mean, that, that's a big diamond. Um, the Esperanza a few years ago was discovered there. It was cut to only a 4 carat diamond, but it's so flawless that they appraised it at $500,000. Can I tell you something? You have value in you that you have never uncovered. And you look at the surface of your, your life and you may say, this is just an ugly, tilled up plot of land. But can I tell you that there are things in you that God has deposited. But you have to be the one to get out there and do the work. You have to... and. Everybody say, I was made in His image. He's deposited heaven in you just like treasures deposited in the earth. The greatest gift, and if you don't hear anything else, hear this right now. The greatest gift that you can give to God in worship isn't the dirt of your life or even the treasure that you find in you, but it's the mining it out that blesses Him. You say, well, what can I, what can I give Him? And you say, well, it doesn't make any sense. You put this in me, I'm just giving it back to you. And he said, no, it was, it was the process. It was that you cared so much to find a piece of me in you. That's what blesses me. If we value Him like a treasure and we dig day and night to find Him in our lives, and we don't stop until the dirt of sin, pride, selfishness, disappointment, rejection are shoveled out by the blood. And we hold up our treasure to Him and He says, My love. I know that. I recognize that. I gave that to you. Did you find that? Did you dig through it all and find that so you could bring it to me? That blesses Him. Guys, can I tell you, I don't have time for the dirt. I'm after the treasure. A lot of us, we feel like our relationship with God is, is just out there digging around in the dirt and just, you know, like me at the end of the day, just kicking dirt around, you know. Guys, I'm after the treasure. If 
he's got if he's put something in me that looks like him, I'm after that. And when I find the treasure, I have a pure offering of worship to him.